I've never waited to the end of January before to fire up my snowblower. I'm not complaining, I'm just stating facts. I've been around a long time. So this is an unusual, unusual year for us. So uh, I, I don't know how many of you have been out, but uh, three times, you know, because you, you do it and you got to do it again, you got to do it again, got to do it again, which is okay. I need the exercise. So turning your scriptures to Matthew 5, we're going to continue what we started last week on kingdom relationships. And um, I morphed a little bit last week, but I'm going to get into this a little bit more deeply this morning. Uh, beginning as we did last week with the 20th chapter, and then I'm going to jump over to chapter 18, and the, the scripture is on the, on the screen for you. So hopefully this will be that which is uh, helpful to you and instructional from the Word of God. Okay, please stand together for the reading of God's Word. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. Anyone who says, you fool, will be put in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there's a remembrance that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go, be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Then turn over to Matthew 18 in your scripture. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and show them their fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by testimony or two or three witnesses. If they refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church... Treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Let's, uh, let's read that together. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. You may be seated. So our Father, this is a, 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 a teaching from the greatest sermon ever uh, from our Lord as he has the attention of thousands of people and speaking to them about the kingdom of God and the importance of adhering to the purposes of God and the commandments of God in our lives. We pray that as we share this together that you would speak to us and instruct us uh, so that we can honor you with the obedience of our lives. And this is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. So we continue in this series that uh, on Christian disciplines that we started a, a couple of weeks ago, and we laid the foundation last week. Remember, we, we were responding to the question from the week before that, where people who are non-Christians asked the question, why is it that people who say they believe in Jesus 
don't have his character. What, 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 is, what is the disconnect there? And then we started last week with the, with the passage of Scripture where we were at today, and, uh, which was, first of all, vertical love, love God, and a horizontal love, which is to love people. And those were the two great commandments that God gave to us in Christ. And once we receive Christ as our Savior and Lord, and we've sung about that several times in the, in the uh, things this morning, then certain truths begin to manifest themselves for us. We begin to understand different things about who we are in Christ that we live in our lives. And the first of these, it seems to me, and ought to be first, is the whole idea of forgiveness and what Christ came to do when he came to die on the cross. And that's what the scripture deals with really here. Uh, I noticed a, an article about a famous artist who died of AIDS uh, and he was raised in a small town in Pennsylvania, and at one point he went through the uh, Jesus uh, freak stage, and everybody in his family was upset with him because he was doing that, and say, oh, he's going off the deep end, he's too religious, too, you know, what's the matter with him, what's happened to him? And then he ran off to New York, and he adopted a gay lifestyle, moved into Greenwich Village, uh, joined the artist community, and now everyone was upset again, oh, He's too unreligious, and so this is silliness of this bouncing back and forth in, in life. In verse 20, Jesus says, your righteousness has to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. What he means is, now, now think through this with me this morning, the reason the scribes and Pharisees were so harsh and so narrow was not because they were too righteous. It was because they weren't righteous enough. Now think about that. They weren't, these guys were nails, you know. They weren't righteous enough. It was because they weren't righteous enough. Let that sink in. Not because they were too moral, they weren't moral enough in the language of Christ. Now think about this. The Pharisees were fanatically zealous for the scriptures, fanatically obedient to the scriptures, but not enough. Not a, think about that. Not enough. Why? Because there's, there's other things in Christianity. They weren't fanatically humble. They weren't fanatically sensitive. They weren't fanatically wise. They weren't fanatically compassionate. They weren't fanatically welcoming to other people. So if you see someone who says they're a Christian, but who acts like a Pharisee, you know, obnoxious, and everyone says to them, oh, that, that person turns everybody off. Their problem is not that they need to moderate. Think about it. Jesus says they need to get more fanatical. They need to get more fanatical. Their problem is they are like Jesus in a couple areas of their life, but they're not like Jesus. They're not like Jesus. They're not fanatically wise. They're not fanatically loving. They're not compassionate, sensitive, welcoming like Jesus, along with the zeal and the conviction and the obedience to their scriptures. And Jesus says in verse 21, if you belong to my kingdom then God begins to work a righteousness in you 
through the Spirit that changes every part of your life. Every part of your life. And actually what that means is he becomes our righteousness. You know that passage of Scripture, right? From 2 Corinthians. Scripture where uh, is speaking of the Father and of Jesus and says there, he, the Father, made him, Jesus, the Son, who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might become what? The righteousness of God in him. So he becomes our righteousness. Now we have to always keep that in mind. He not only died for me, he lived for me. He lived his life for me. In other words, I, he lived the life that I should have lived. And as I look at his life, am I emulating that? Am I living like that in my life? He lives for me. His spirit dwells within me, right? So Jesus begins his work on our relationship. First, the vertical, then the horizontal, working with people. God first, then people, and we work with people. And that's why we read in verse 21, again, you have heard it was said, do not murder. But I tell you that anyone who is angry... Anyone who says to another raka, who says moros, the Greek word idiot is moros. I kind of like the word idiot. <laughs> I'm always getting somebody on TV and Mary be saying, that guy's an idiot. <laughs> but I got to be careful. You know, we, Jesus says, anyone who's angry, who says raka, Moros is liable to judgment. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? Now, we need to be careful here when we look at the Scriptures. Dignity of life does not come from a person's religion, doesn't come from their sex, their skin color, their power, their status. Human dignity is something that you're born with. It's something that you're born with. And even though that image has been marred by sin... And it has been. All people deserve our respect and our love, not because of what they've done or they haven't done, but because of who they are. They're people who have been born in the image of God. They're bearers of that image. So when you drive down M59 on your way home and that guy cuts off uh, your car, you say, image of God, right? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. But Jesus says, I'm inviting you to not dehumanize, not devalue, not de-image. Lift up people. Don't tear people down. Lift people up. Be a light to those who are around you. So throughout Scripture, God is telling us that transformed relationships are critical. This is all about how we handle each other and how we work with one another. Broken relationships are, are a huge source of misery. They're just a source of misery. When you have broken relationships in the congregation or with family or whatever, they just cause pain and brokenness and misery. We make fun of these things all the time, don't we? relationships that are broken. I mean, it's uh, most of our situation comedies that we watch on TV are about 
brokenness and how silly all that stuff is, insulting each other and doing those things, getting in each other's faces. And there's a great book called uh, The Great Insults in History. And I have that book. And I've read, like, for example, I'll, I'll give you a couple of things that were in that book. Lady Astor says, Mr. Churchill, if I was your wife, I'd put poison in your coffee. You know this one, right? And Churchill says, if I was your husband, I'd drink it. Now, that's, that's funny. You know, that's funny. And we laugh at that. Uh, I had this other one about a woman who was, uh, had gone through a very messy divorce. And so she was, uh, went through that, but she died. She went to heaven. Of course, St. Peter meets her at the gate, and, and uh, she says, well, you know, I want, I'm here to come into heaven. And he says, well, no, no, no. He says, you, we, got, we got some things you, you have to do first. And she said, well, what? She says, he says well, you've got to spell a word for me. And, and uh, she said, well, what word? And he says, spell sin. So she spells sin. He says, all right, you can come in. So she comes in, and she's motoring around by the front there, and, and, and Peter says, you know, i got to go over here. Can you watch the gate for me while I'm gone? And uh, she said, well, yeah, I can watch the gate. What, what am I supposed to do? He said, well, you know, same, same rules for everybody that comes in. they got to spell a word. So oh, sooner or later, here comes this guy. It was her ex-husband. He had gotten into a, a, an automobile accident, and he comes up, and he's looking at her standing at the gate, and he's thinking about himself and thinking about her as she's watching the gate here. And he says, well, I, I, I really want to come into heaven. And she says, well, you, you know, the rules are the same for everybody. you got to spell a word. And he says, well, what word? She says, Czechoslovakia. <laughs> now, that's funny, isn't it? You know, Czechoslovakia. One more, and then I'm going to move on. An attorney was speaking to a, to a woman who had just lost her husband, and he said, your husband didn't leave a will, and we need to know what your last words were to him and his to you. And she said, well, I don't want to tell you that. And the attorney says, hey, he didn't leave a will. I'm telling you, we need to know what were the last words that he ever said to you. And she refused to tell him. She says, I don't want to tell you. It's personal. It was between him and it was between me. And that's, that's ours, the two of us. And the attorney says, I'm going to ask this one more time. I'm begging you, please tell me the last words your husband ever said to you. And finally, the woman relented from that. And she says, okay, I'll tell you. She said, the last thing he ever said to me was, you're waiting. You don't scare me. You couldn't hit the broad side of a barn with that old gun. That's the last thing he ever said to me. Now, that's funny. <laughs> so, oh my, oh my, you know. I hope none of us ever get to the point in relationships where we consider uh, doing something silly and stupid like that. Broken relationships are funny as long as you're not going through them. You're not going through them. There are people in this room who are miserable because of broken relationships, having a difficult time struggling because of broken relationships. There are even more who are miserable and you don't know it's because of your broken relationships. You don't know that. You have significant people in your life whom you have broken relationships with, and you're saying, doesn't bother me. And I'm saying, right, 
writes. Jesus says, my kingdom power can bring about a righteousness that transforms all relationships. Transforms all relationships. The principle here is so far-reaching, so deep, so amazing. And the principle is this. Lovelessness is murder. Lovelessness is murder. This is uh, coming up as Black History Month. And I, I, like, I like Martin Luther King. I like how he lived his life and what he had to say. And he made this statement, which I think is so, so very real. I have decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. And it is. I've decided to stick with love. Jesus makes it very clear. When you harbor bitterness... You harbor anger in your heart towards people. You are just as guilty as if you've murdered them. Think about that concept. That's nothing to play around with. You're just as guilty as if you murdered them. In 1 John 3.15, the Bible says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murder has eternal life abiding in them. That's crazy. Hatred is not a characteristic of a believer. In Christ. People are not objects to be used or discarded. People are image bearers of the living God. Again, 1 John 4 and verse 20 says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. Oh, for he does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God who he has not seen. Look down at verse 23. Leave your gift. Leave your gift. Reconciliation, reconciliation with a brother or a sister takes precedence over worship. Leave your gift at the altar. Go. It takes precedence over worshiping God. Think about that. That's because it's impossible to love God and hate somebody at the same time. Impossible. Our relationship with God is directly tied to our relationship with one another in the body of Christ. Directly. Jesus says, again, go back to verse 21. You have heard that it was said to people long ago, do not murder. Do not murder. Now watch this. When Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, he's not talking about the Old Testament there. He's not talking about the Old Testament because when he talks about Scripture, he doesn't say it was said. He says, it is written. Why? Look, read it. Whenever he's talking about Scripture, it is written. It is written. He doesn't say it was said. So when he says it was said here in this passage of Scripture, he's referring to the religious leaders' interpretation of the Old Testament commandments. He says that when religious leaders look at that commandment, thou shalt not murder, they stop at the external. And he says, I can't stop there. I'm going deeper. They say, as long as you haven't physically killed someone, as long as you haven't physically destroyed somebody, you're guiltless. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. No, because in the Bible, now listen to me, the prohibited form always enjoins the opposite. You hear what I'm saying? The, 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 all right, up, up over here. 
the prohibitive form always enjoys, enjoins the opposite. When he says no to that, what does that mean? It means he goes to the positive. So what does that mean? to? I mean, it's always true in Scripture. It's always there. Thou shalt not steal in the Bible. The opposite is what Jesus is after. You shall be generous. That's the opposite. It always enjoys, you shall not steal. That means you need to be generous with yourself. Let me take that seriously. It's not how much we give. You know, I, I, I'll, give, I'll, I'll give God this much. I'll give God, or, or here's, here's what I got to, you know, and we put that in the offering plate. It's not that. It's like, what else can I give to? What else can I give to? Is there somebody that needs something? Is there some cause? Is there something that I can give to? It's being generous with yourself, being generous with your life, being generous with your money. It's not about, how much, oh, I got to, oh, yeah, we, yeah, we gave our stuff. No. How generous can you be? It enjoins the, the opposite. That's the reason whenever someone is not generous, the Bible says that's robbery. You're stealing when you're not generous. So when Jesus says, thou shalt not murder, that means every human being is infinitely precious, of infinite value, made in the image of God, and can never be treated as an object. Can never, never never be treated as a thing or made as a means for our ends. Jesus says, if you treat somebody like raka, and that's what that means. Raka, raka means you're a nobody. You're, you're non-person. I'm treating you like a non-person. This is, this is scary. Because he's not saying you break the commandment if you're malicious. Think about it. He is saying if you neglect, if you look through a person, another individual, if you treat that person as if they're not there, you've broken the commandments of God. And then Jesus goes a step further. He says, if you're angry with your brother, you're guilty of murder. You're guilty of murder. The Apostle Paul, now think about this, and, and everybody else wonders about this, and we talk about this. In, uh, uh, the Apostle Paul, when he's talking about himself, he says, uh, he has the audacity to say, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the chief of sinners. Really? Huh. I don't think so. Paul? I mean, look at this guy. I mean, he's amazing. I mean, he's amazing. You, you know his life. It's amazing. What's he saying? What is this? What is this? Hyperbole? Is it, what is it exaggeration? Preachers like exaggeration. We like to exaggerate things, you know, when we do that. No, Paul meant it. And Paul meant it because he knew the doctrine of sin. Think, 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 think. He knew what sin was all about and was, was deep in his own life. He said, I'm the worst of sinners. He knew what Jesus was saying, and it's critical to understand the biblical doctrine of sin when you listen to some of these things that are said in Scripture by the Apostle Paul. And let me give you an illustration of this. Um, and I've used this illustration before, but it's so good I like it. Just as an entire tree is in an acorn, 
So murder is in resentment and hate and anger. They are seeds. They are seeds that got fertilized and watered and found proper environment and germination. Do you think that those five policemen in Memphis, and here's how we apply it to today in our lives, got up in the morning and said, we want to beat somebody today. Do you think? No, 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 no. The seeds were there. That's what Paul is saying. In me are the seeds. So when Paul says, I'm chief of sinners, what he means is, I know that everything that makes for a murderer is in my heart. It's in my heart. It's just it never had a chance to be watered. It never had a chance to be fertilized. And that person who murdered that person over there did. So Paul says, a Christian is never condescending, but always compassionate to other people. Always compassionate. Because a Christian says, the difference between you and the difference, this is what Paul is saying, the difference between you and the difference between me is only one of degree and only one of grace. And we use that statement. We all know this statement. There, but by the grace of God, go I. That is real. That's just not a cute saying. That's real. There, but by the grace of God. How do we know this? Because the seeds are there. The potential is there in our hearts. Therefore, we're able to take a look at even the worst people and have compassion. And know that you're my brother, you're my sister, and I realize that this could be me. I have that stuff in me. I have that stuff in me. I have the seeds, but God. You see it? But God. But God. God in his mercy protected me, and he hasn't placed me in a place where that can be fertilized and watered and grow. And we, we pray that, don't we? Lead me not into Temptation. Why? Because the seeds are there. But deliver me from evil because the seeds are there. The seeds are there. So Jesus is saying, you're a murderer if you harbor grudges. The seeds are there. You're a murderer if you're indifferent to people. You're a murderer if you gossip, if you're tearing people down. And again, Dr. King made this statement, which I love. Forgiveness is not an occasional act, it's a permanent attitude. For Christians, it's a permanent attitude. Christians walk in forgiveness. Christians live in forgiveness. The forgiveness of God. The cross forgiveness is at the very heart of our faith, the very heart of who we are. So when the world looks at us, they, they look at that in our hearts, in our lives. Are we living that? Are we expressing that visually out there? A failure to live a positive love, Jesus says, is murder. Murder. And the reason Jesus is telling us to be loving like this is because God the Father is like this. The Father's like this. And because God is like this, he says, you can be like this. 
when we receive him into our hearts and his spirit comes into our lives. And here's what's so ironic. Here's what's ironic. The minute you begin to say, I'm a murderer, I'm a murderer, you stop being one. Until you say, I'm a murderer, you will not stop being one. Until you recognize this. I've gossiped. I've hurt people with my mouth. You see, when you begin to say, like I think the Apostle Paul was saying, the difference between that murder and me is grace. It's the grace of God. It humbles you. It creates a compassion in you for people. And you begin to love people you would never put up with because you can't feel superior. I mean, and, it, and Paul said this elsewhere. Remember, he says, you know, he said, uh, when you think of other people, think of other people as better than yourselves. Think of other people as better than yourselves. It's the same principle that he's using here. And as soon as you begin to say, Lord, I'm a murderer, just like you said in the Bible, because I have these seeds in me, in my heart, you begin to soften. You begin to change who you are. The, the minute you say, I don't love like you, that admission opens up the gates of your life. It melts the ice. <laughs> and love begins to flow. Until you admit you're a sinner, you're not acceptable. I mean, we know that, but we need to apply it, apply it, apply it. But then Jesus says, this isn't enough. <laughs> this, this is not enough. Here we go. It's not enough to stop the anger, to stop the gossiping, stop the resentment, stop the grudges. It's not enough. You're still disobeying this commandment unless when you see relationships decaying around you and see people around you, you try to do something to heal them. You try to do something to heal those relationships. Jesus says, if you're worshiping God, if you're here today and you're worshiping God and you realize that somebody has something against you, it's in chapter 5, verse 23. You have a broken relationship. You have a broken relationship. The urgency of the matter is such that you should leave your gift. This is urgent. He says this is important. Now, now, now Keller, in his book, he wrote a little thing about this. He says, you know, this thing about the altar, leaving the altar and then going, he says, that's, that's more than you think it is. Because in Jerusalem, there was only one altar. And that was in Jerusalem. And these guys have made the journey for three days to get there. And he's saying to them, you leave your gift and you go home <laughs> three days and then you come back. I mean, this is, this is urgent and it's important. And he's making that statement to them. There was only one altar. And if you had other altars in your home, those were idols. They, they didn't allow that. There's only one altar and that's in Jerusalem. So think about the, the context of this, what's being said. So Jesus is saying, you still have not really begun to obey this commandment until you see it's your job. It's your job to 
reconcile relationships as far as it depends upon you. That when you see decaying relationships around you, you go to that person and you try to make it work. You try to make it work. Say, what if what does that mean? What does that mean, Tom? If if somebody has something against me, I gotta go to them. I gotta go to them. That's what it says. That's what it says. Matthew 18. It says if you have something against them, you have to go to them. Doesn't matter who started it. Doesn't. It's always your responsibility. It's your responsibility. Don't wait for that person to bring it up. Go and forgive them. Matthew 5 says it's, it's you, you, you need to initiate this. Matthew 18 says you need to initiate this. It's your job as a Christian. It's countercultural. We don't think like this. We don't, we don't like this even. This is hard. This is not, no, no, no I don't, I don't want, I, 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 know, I know what you're thinking, you Christians. Another unbelievably idealistic preacher who doesn't know what real life is about. I'm going to tell you something. You have no idea how many times I have had to go to people and say, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. You have no idea. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Do you want to be like Jesus? Simple question. You want to be like Jesus? Or do you want to be like his counterpart? You know? Think think about this. Think about Satan. Here's a guy nobody walks on. Nobody walks on him. Everybody respects. Even Jesus respects his power. Feed your enemies? Dumb. Stupid. Oh, feed your enemies. What kind of thing? We know. Turn the other cheek. No, no, no. Go love. No, dumb. Dumb stuff. No way does Satan do that with people. Nobody steps on him. Nobody walks over him. Nobody does that. Nobody mistreats him. He's not a wimp. He's not a wimp. And he's as powerful a person outside of heaven as you can have. As I said, even Jesus respects his power. Is he happy? Is he happy? He's always blaming everybody else for everything that's going on, all the problems. He's eaten up himself with self-pity. There's a fiery cancer of bitterness and hate that, that, that eats inside of his soul. God doesn't have to send his soul to hell because his soul is already in hell. And that's the way it is with anybody who holds on to anger. Who calls people morons. Looks through them. Then look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Here's someone who has done nothing but forgive all of his life. Right? Nothing but forgive all of his life. He came to love us. He came to save us. He opened his hands and we put a spear in his side. We laughed at him when he died on the cross.
What did he do on the cross while we were laughing? What did he say? That's the last straw. Bunch of morons. Bunch of idiots. Stupid. What did he say? Father, forgive him. With his breath. And the first time he appears after the resurrection on the road to Emmaus, you know the story. After the resurrection, does he say, listen, guys, if you just grovel a little bit, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe I can forget what you did to me on the cross. I can forget it. If you just grovel a little bit. No, his first words to them are, peace to you. Peace to you. Jesus sees the results of his suffering and he's satisfied. Who do you want to be like? Who do you want to be like? Tell me which is more practical. You say it's it's not practical to be trying to love people like this and forgive people like this and work through the it's not practical. Well, okay, who do you want to be like? You tell me. Now listen. Jesus hints at the very end that if you do not obey this law of relationships with the help of the Holy Spirit in your life, you're unfit for worship. Go. Go. Leave the altar. Leave the gifts. Watch out. He's saying, watch out. Verse 25. He says, the judge who is God himself will turn you over, put you in prison. You're out of fellowship with him and you're going to stay there until you pay your debts. If you won't forgive, watch out. It'll get you. It'll hurt you. There'll be a poison there. Now, that sounds like a warning, and it is. <laughs> it most definitely is, but it's also a promise. There's a wonderful promise in that, that little passage of Scripture because some of you are saying, how do I ever get the power to do this? The power to do this is worship. He's saying, you need, you need to come back and worship. You need to worship. You need to worship God. Put yourself in a position to worship God. Put yourself where God can be worshiped in your life. Seeing who you are, believing you're a sinner saved by grace, obedient to the things of God and the calling of God in your life. Worship him. Worship him. Do you believe that you are a person saved freely by grace? The grace of God, completely accepted by Christ. The more that you see that, the more you'll be transformed by the knowledge and become the person who lives in forgiveness. You live in forgiveness. And you'll be able to love. You'll be able to let go of the anger. You'll be able to let go of the rakanas. Let go of the you moron. Darkness and anger and hatred and sin are driven out by the light of the world. They're driven out by the light of the world. Let me tell you something. 
Do I get angry? Yeah, I get angry. And we all get angry. I mean, we'd be silly not to, not to own up to that. But I'm going to tell you something. I can't preach on Sunday morning. If on Saturday I'm thinking that I've hurt somebody. Can't do it. Because this is within my giftedness. And either I have to speak to them, or I have to call them, or I have to go. If I get up Sunday morning angry with anyone, when I call to mind what Jesus has done and the transformation of my relationship with him and you and people, I can't do it. So when we get started with this, the minute, you say, well, when, when does this start? Well, it starts now. The minute we get up from, from the, this, this service, lovelessness is murder. Lovelessness is murder. Come to Jesus, you receive forgiveness, and then you offer forgiveness to other people. Jesus can transform all the relationships that you have. He brings peace to those. And the minute you do that, you enter the kingdom. That's what it says here. You enter the kingdom of God. Let's pray. So Father, we're thankful as we look at this. Two great commandments, love God and love people. And then he tells us how. Help us just to think through these things. That your Holy Spirit would open our hearts, our lives to love you and to love you excessively. Not just to read the scriptures and say, yeah, we, we know that, but to live the scriptures. To go beyond, to have the righteousness of Christ in us, to live like he lived. And say, I want to be like Jesus. I want to live like he lived. I want to treat people like he treats people. I'm so thankful that God has saved me and transformed me, not only um, uh, in body, but in mind. My mind has been changed on how I think. So we pray, Father, that this is our hearts as your people, that we don't think on these things, uh, uh, bow before the word, before the spirit, and allow this to sink into our hearts and minds to the effects that our relationships with people is healthy and whole and right. And this is our heart as we come to worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.